the fun part of this is that he gives royalties to a nonprofit in Israel uh, because he said, I didn't write the lyrics. Welcome to the Why You Ideas podcast, where values-based education meets today's challenges and opportunities with your host, Rabbi Dr. Stuart Halpern. Today's guest is Vice Provost for Values and Leadership and Director of the Sachs Herrenstein Center, Dr. Erica Brown. Dr. Brown, you are thinking deeply about joy and despair, two separate but maybe related projects at the moment. Speak to us first. Why don't we, uh, why don't we start with the depressing stuff? What have you been unpacking about a figure, a, a monarch, uh, who thought deeply about life's sadness? Tell us about that project. Yeah, um, thank you so much for asking, Rabbi Doctor. It's great to see you, and it's great to be here. Um, so uh, it's funny you asked, and I appreciate that you asked in that in that frame, that range of, of emotions. I began during COVID to work on a parish on Kohelet, a commentary on Kohelet, for the Koren Magid Tanakh series. Uh, I promised myself after Esther I would never write another long book, and I lied uh, because it's it's really it it there's such a long exegetical history of the book. Um, there's so much interesting writing. And what I found in many ways was that writing the commentary during a time when we were thinking about the nature of work and we think about mortality, we were thinking about relationships in, in a very amplified way. So Kohelet, in many ways, I think, I think writing Kohelet at that time was therapeutic on some level. Um, it, was, it was also sort of joining a conversation of the ages, whether it's, you know, whether it's medieval commentary or rabbinic commentary, midrashic, Talmudic, uh, modern scholarship, is sort of being part of this really remarkable conversation, which I think is true for all research. You know, you, you sort of jump in the conversation, you say, well, how deep am I going to go? Am I going to, you know, put my toe in the water or am I going to really sort of think a lot about this subject. Um, and for, for those in need of a refresher, Kohelet is what? Is the musings of a... Uh, Kohelet traditionally is understood as the musings of King Solomon. Uh, the rabbinic tradition is that he wrote Shira Shirim. He wrote Song of Songs when he was a, a young man and felt ardor and passion. Uh, he wrote Proverbs, Mishle, when he was middle-aged and sort of had ex- had experience and advice to give out, dispense. And then Kohelet becomes the product of his later years where cynicism creeps in, where, um, where reflections on aging, and it's certainly Chapter Twelve is all about the what's called in literature the ruined estate or the or the ruined house. You know the sort of the body that is decomposing, and 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 thinking about thinking about mortality and what and what life's purpose is. And so, of course, in synagogue when it's read liturgically, we repeat the the verse that that uh, that speaks most perhaps to a, a Torah true lifestyle, which is the importance of worshiping God and observing uh, God's mitzvot. Uh, but but don't let that fool you. I mean, the book is uh, the book takes a really hardcore look at theodicy and um, and feasting and um, and profit and you know sort of subjects with a with a keen um, derisive skeptical eye. Mm. So how did you keep uh, from from being depressed amidst all this despair and lamenting life's many 
uh, frailties and failings? Was it through your beloved Peloton, <laughs> uh, Netflix, perhaps? Oh, yeah. Um, well, actually, I, when I told a neighbor of mine that I was working on the book, she said, oh, Kohelet. Are you on Prozac? <laughs> uh, but I actually, I really found it very hopeful. And I, I, I've met a whole group of like, we have a subculture. It's mm. the Kohelet Club. Mm. You know, people for whom this is their favorite biblical book mm. because they feel that we canonized these observations. Mm. We didn't say this isn't kosher. We mm. said, yeah, study it. Mm. Like, let's let's be in the space. And mm. one of the things very striking, and, and also a challenge when you write on Kohelet, is that some of these themes repeat chapter after chapter, and they take and, and turns of phrase that get mm. repeated, but they they change slightly. Um, they they're minor minor sort of edits, if you will. And you wonder if this is a person who is, as many of us, going back to some of the same dark or deep questions that we've asked. And we ask them at five one way, and we ask them at 15 another way, and 26, and 50, and 80. And, was, and, and, and I appreciate that. The, 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 I think the book gives permission to return to the question and say, well, maybe all we can do in this life is refine the question. Mm. Uh, we, don't, we don't necessarily get to an answer. We, Cynthia Ozick has an uh, essay about this, um, about sort of refining, refining questions, and then sometimes the answer comes through that process of refinement. Hmm. And if you were to picture, I don't know, uh, uh, an elected leader or perhaps England's uh, King Charles, uh, uh, however one pictures in their mind's eye, uh, an, an accomplished, long-serving uh, communal government figure, could she or he write Kohelet nowadays? Why or why not? Well, they're, they're probably a little busy, um, but uh, I guess in their so, retirement, yeah, in their retirement. Um, actually, I think that um, I think that the book was written really to service the courtier, the courtier um, population mm. of how how do you live within a court? How do you understand governance, mm. good governance, bad governance? Uh, what does it mean to lead? Um, and and a lot of the book is devoted to thoughts about governance. Um, so I think I think in many ways it's. It's, it could be a manual, right? Hmm. It could be a manual. Uh, it'd be interesting, actually. It's a great project. I'll talk to King Charles after the coronation. Yes. It's like, oh, how Kohala right. can change your life. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but, but saying, you know, who, whatever the, um, the impetus is to, to write is to say, what do you do after leadership? In yeah. fact, actually, I've, I've done some work on this space myself, interviewing people who took on very large leadership roles. They may be presidents of organizations in a lay or, or professional capacity. And then, and then their job is done. Mm. And they've got all this wisdom. Mm. They know things that, that, that they can't even report to anyone else. And their wisdom doesn't go anywhere. No one seeks them out. The, the next person in line, the successor, very often wants to distance himself or herself from the previous ruler. And so in many ways, I wonder, was this the opportunity to say, I'm going to put my wisdom somewhere? And, and, and some of it will be helpful, and some of it may feel jaded, but that's, that's the way experience speaks to people. So I think, I think working on it was... Um, it was really delightful. I would say I had a few really dark moments, um, and I'll share one. I was working on the sixth parak. Um, there's an image of a nephel, um, a stillborn child, and um, it was a long day. Uh, when I get to the end of a book, I'm usually working about sometimes 12 to 14 hours on it in the last weeks. And so that's a lot of hours to spend a day on Kohelet. And my daughter is a neonatology fellow, 
and she asked me we were talking on the phone she asked me what I was doing and I explained that what I was working on and she said and I said oh it's better you know this observation is better that I, I, that that had not been born, and she said, "Oh, that's what a mother said to me of a child who who uh-huh. died today, of an infant who died today." And then, and then I just sort of closed the book for the day, and wow. you know, sort of shut down my computer and said, "All right, this just got a little bit too sure. too real." But but I I actually thought it was interesting that the mother had said that, you sure. know, and that and that. Uh, this observation, is it is it better to be born? We ask that in the Talmud, or yeah. is it better not to be born? Yeah, it's fascinating yeah. that the very same book that ponders that question was also a source of inspiration to uh, the political philosopher Yuval Levin, who write, wrote a book mm-hmm. about investing in institutions titled The Time to Build, and whatever one, whether one disagrees or agrees with, uh, with his politics, uh, President Joe Biden's uh, victory tweet was uh, it's a time to heal? Yeah. Also a quote from Colette. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So I did. That actually was a super fun chapter working on that, and I learned a great detail, which is that Pete Seeger, who yes. wrote the music to that, uh, who, who wrote the music to that song, actually wrote it in about fifteen minutes. Wow. His um, the his, song being there is a season. Turn, there is turn. a season. Yeah. Turn turn. Um, there he he was uh, he was working on a lot of protest songs, and his uh, and there was a lot of frustration that he wasn't making money, and so he sort of scribbled this yes. on a napkin. But the fun part of this is that he gives royalties to a nonprofit in Israel uh, because he said, I didn't write the lyrics. So he was going to give it to the King James Foundation, who you know published their translation in 1611. He decided instead, he said, well, it goes back further than that. So he picked a, uh, he, he picked a, a, a nonprofit in Israel. So, so we get royalties in Israel from that song. Who knew? Wonderful. Yeah, so that's a perfect transition to, uh, you know, from, from song to joy. Uh, Ode to Joy, if you will. Tell us about this this more uh, or less depressing and hopefully more uh, more happy project. Yeah, it's other- very happy project. So thank you. Um, so when I started here at Yeshiva University, um, it was uh, we were just really at the tail end of COVID, and putting together conference was something we we thought about, but we were concerned that we'd end up having to cancel it or or, or have poor attendance. So we thought, well, what if we brought together academics and thinkers in the field, family members of Rabbi Sachs? And did a volume on joy in the thinking of Rabbi Sachs. Joy was extremely important to Rabbi Sachs. And as Gila Sachs, his daughter, writes in her foreword to the book, um, my fa- joy, joy was hard-earned for my father. It mm. wasn't natural. He understood its importance. So he worked very hard at it. Wow. Um, and uh, we've put together a volume um, largely around Rabbi Sachs' thinking on, on joy, but also Rabbi Sa- uh, Ode to Joy, uh, Happiness in the Thought of Rabbi Sachs and Beyond, in arenas that Rabbi Sachs did not write in. Um, in Kabbalah, for example, we have an, an essay by B.T. Roe, um, Israeli award-winning uh, academic of Kabbalah on, on happiness. We have it in law. Uh, in the arts, in education, we're sort of looking at the significance of happiness as a desideratum in society, but in in various um, in various fields. So, um, Dr. Shira Weiss and I, so our assistant director here at the Sachs Herrenstein Center, um, she and I have worked on this this past year. We're publishing it with Palgrave Macmillan, and that'll be out. Um, hope, hope, um, in July. Looking forward to it. So. Uh to paraphrase a great king, uh, at the end of the day, uh, what is the most important thing we should take with us? Sof Tavar HaKol Nishma. What is the takeaway you uh, have uh, 
have been gifted by working on these two projects simultaneously? Um, uh, you know, I, I think emotional range is very important in, uh, in every area of life and the capacity for human beings to express a range of emotions. I think it's very important in art um, that, you know, you what's called values, you work, you know, a painting that has depth is one that has the lightest value in a color scheme. So it's the lightest green mm -hmm. to the darkest green. And the more range that you can put, the that's, that's how you create depth in painting, but it's also how you create depth in life. So I think a lot about um, teaching that in a good class, uh, I know that people joke, you laugh, you cry, but there is something about saying a an, an experience, whether it's you're in front of a television or you're listening to a podcast or you're listening to a class, what pay attention to the emotional range. Mm. Um, is someone, are there moments of levity or is it really just very dark and, and profound and disturbing? Um, because I think people are drawn to that range. But if there's too much of one thing, right, too joyous, it might be trivial, frippery, not important. If it's too heavy, someone can say, I just, I can't, I can't take this much heaviness, right? So, so the spoonful of sugar helps the heaviness go down. So I think, um, I think for me, it, it, it was maybe coincidental that I worked on these two projects, but I, I'm glad. I, I really haven't put them together in quite that way. So thank you very much. That was a good contribution. <laughs> thank you for t being our wonderful guide from kings to lords, from despair to joy. We thank you, Dr. Brown. Okay, thank you so much. The Why You Ideas podcast is a production of the Office of the Provost of Yeshiva University and Uri Westridge. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star review if you like what you're listening to. We want to hear from our listeners. Write to us at shalpern at yu.edu. In the meantime, stay deeply rooted and forward-focused. <laughs>